the individual battles in this war have just begun. Um, so far we've seen that we are in fact sick because of cancer and the parasite of conception that leeches onto us and fights us at every turn. Uh, and we've seen that the main propellant um, of that illness um, often runs through the veins of language. Um, but if language is the road, we have to ask ourselves, what does it carry with it? Language is the channel, the vestige. It's, it's the environment that houses uh, and fashions certain types of conception that then take hold within us. Uh, language makes that taking hold of possible. Uh, language gives us the ability to uh, take something, take conceptualization, a given concept uh, from another source and we take it within ourselves and then again relate it to our experiences um, or our memory which is another form of experience and then uh, we are able to give those words that language a kind of meaning through that reflection of uh, language and experience. <clears throat> and we'll talk about experience uh, at another point, but for now we will use old language's way of dealing with what experience is so that we can see again what comes out of that happening between that reflection of linguistics and, and experience, or just generally taking what words are at face value as we've learned them to be. What happens? What does that create? Well, what it creates is another sort of generalization. It's another sort of system. It's a system which guides other systems. It helps propel other systems and dictates other systems and then uh, those systems again in another kind of double reflection help propel and dictate it. Um, so, 
what the what this all manifests is again another one of conceptualizations uh, many crafty tricks um, is because we carry this thing with us without even knowing uh, often that we have it um, or we just think of it as so much a part of our being or, or part of our identity that uh, we don't even often think to question it. Oftentimes we have this uh, before uh, we even think about who we are as individuals or as a society or as a group. Um, we resonate with a certain thing and from there uh, we're sort of swept along in that ideological current. Uh, and often uh, we find ourselves on a questionable embankment uh, after having drifted for quite a long ways <laughs> riding that that ideological current, so to speak. Um, when we do eventually find ourselves, if we are lucky enough to wash ashore on a sandbar uh, in this uh, philosophical ocean, or this conceptual ocean that we're metaphorically speaking of here, um, or on a deserted island, we uh, come to take stock um, and we have time to look out and gauge where it is we really are. And uh, that's often when the sort of rebellion occurs. This kind of uh, awakening that says, maybe I shouldn't be here after all. Maybe this location isn't where I'm supposed to be. Um, it happens uh, to almost all of us. Um, especially often in youth or adolescence. Um, we're so ingrained to go with uh, the way that things are given to us. We're so trained to sort of fall in line that uh, we do so and, and don't, want, don't question uh, that alignment until it's until something happens and um, oftentimes for many it's, it's too late by the time they realize it or they realize it and lash out for a certain period and then uh, and then they fall back more, hate to say in line, but they fall back more with the majority. This often happens uh, for safety, uh, 
because we want to feel that we are, I guess in a certain way, aligned with the general mode, the general thinking of humanity. This makes us feel uh, like we are doing something right. Or that we are modern enough uh, and uh, intelligent enough to see that uh, the contemporary patterns are more true than what has preceded it. Um, and that by following these contemporary patterns, uh, we've somehow improved upon uh, what we what it is that we've left behind. This is a pretty common thinking. This is a pretty common way of being, more accurately put. Um, it all, again. to some degree, maybe not ultimately, but certainly to some degree, has to do with finding a location for ourselves and feeling comfortable in that spot that we've chosen because in that choosing to be where we are ideologically or, you know, in any when we uh, align ourselves with any sort of trend. At least in that choosing, there's a certain freedom. Uh, even if what follows because of that choice uh, gives us anything but. <laughs> but in the choosing, uh, we look at different arguments and measure things up in particular ways and again this is because our exposure to certain experiences that we uh, or out of respect of uh, for certain ideologies or for certain people who possess those ideologies we we fall in we become uh, ensnared uh, within the common um, vernacular, vernacular, the contemporary colloquialisms, uh, and uh, this is how societies are formed. This is how uh, various uh, structures, uh, social religious, any sort of thematic, dogmatic, um, any kind of movement, political, economical, <clears throat> all the rest of that. This is how these things begin to take on a certain weight and inertia and roll down the hill, as it were.
Because again, there's a certain something that we're searching for. That ultimate reality, the actual, what is. And we're constantly trying to access it. Again, we are either everything we do constantly tries to access the real or unconsciously turns away from that happening and we put our proverbial heads in the sand and uh, we focus on thing, other things that we deem as important. Uh, and these things are hollow and empty and really are altogether unimportant and that's why we end up with so many existential crisis, crises. That's why we end up so alone and afraid. Because what it is that we're doing in joining these certain systems, these certain ideologies, these contemporary modes, is not really the participation with these certain happenings. It's really the isolating of our true selves and the sacrificing of the things we most really and truly are. We limit our expressions by attaching ourselves uh, to these particular fashioned viewpoints. And they're all temporal. Almost all of them, I should say, are temporal. They uh, have a life for a while and they pitter out after uh, something, again, new, comes along, more in style, more in vogue, takes its place, a younger, more modern, uh, more hip, more, more with it, more aligned, so they think, with reality, crowd takes it over, and we no longer have... Uh, the old, the old is replaced by this new, but the replacing of this new happening um, really doesn't often further us uh, to reality, to the truth. It often just gives us a different vantage point to it. Um, because we're so, we're still so bogged down uh, by the conceptual methods. We still need the intermediary, we need the system, the scheme, to do the interpreting for us. And then we latch on to the general interpretation without really investigating it for ourselves. 
And because we choose not to investigate for ourselves, uh, we become bystanders. Just apathetic humanity rolling over, turning its cheek to whatever conceptual blows come next. All of these things that we allow to happen, that we attach ourselves to in such forceful ways, we have termed as beliefs. Beliefs are anything we hold to be true, whether that the arrival of that quote-unquote truism is self-evident or not. That is to say whether or not we've garnered that truth for ourselves, or whether it's been given to us. And most often, I mean, there are really two different types of beliefs, the ones that have been given to us. And as we've mentioned quite a bit up to this point, although uh, I think we're benefited by going over it here once again, the beliefs given to us are not, uh, <laughs> are often very ineffective. Um, there is a certain truth to uh, their utility. There is a certain utility that they do have um, when we're attempting in an analytical and technological way to build upon uh, something. But uh, again, analytics, technology, uh, these are also all a part of systems. And as we will go over, systems uh, have their utility. They have a certain degree uh, of use when we are doing uh, uh, analytical or technological um, activities, but uh, but so far as them really serving a purpose towards accessing uh, ultimate reality, accessing caressence, so that, that being with, we have to do away with beliefs. Because that being with starts, that caressence starts at an individual level. It can spread to a larger consciousness, but uh, it starts like any large journey with, with a single step, a single action, a single thought in that direction. 
because the bringing of life, life, anything, anything of a larger category is sustained by the individual. Again, life itself is a general happening, but it's sustained by individuals. It's the same thing with caressence, the same thing with the being with, the reality. It's accessed individually. It can be attained ultimately, uh, collectively, but the access is, starts and ends with individuality and the recognition of that actuality, that happening. Um, beliefs, however, because often so many of them are given to us, they disallow that happening. They hold us back from that individual participation. They keep us from ourselves because beliefs as a grand scheme um, are often someone else's interpretations and someone else's experiences. We said there are two types of beliefs. Those given to us which are the most dangerous and yet the most followed, of course, by far. It's almost it's almost not a registered belief with the rest of humanity or consciousness or collectivity, however you want to call it. Uh, unless it's widely held. It's it's not validated. It's all it's almost scoffed at. It is scoffed at unless it's widely held. Um, and that's why there's so few breakthroughs in the world in consciousness and knowing and seeing because we are too afraid to step out of that belief system, that structure and for ourselves go our own way, see our own sights, kind of paint our own colors on the easel of, of life. Uh, to continue with that art analogy, um, how many artists go to school to be an artist? And yet, how often do we see that really the true geniuses have no schooling whatsoever? This doesn't happen all the time. Um, and also, often just like uh, folks doing technical breakthroughs, um, they are schooled, they are trained to some, to some degree, but then something happens along the way. They, they break free from that training, if they had it in the first place, if they are familiar with the pre-given system. Um, what makes that, that system or, or them able to transcend that system, if not totally disregard it, um, is their own individual ability, is their own uniqueness. And that uniqueness, um, if it even were birthed by some sort of belief, 
What makes it unique is that, of course, it steps away from belief. And so many of us secretly applaud but publicly scorn this happening. So many of us want to step away from uh, the fray. But so few of us have the courage to do so. So few of us have the gumption to go on to that other kind of belief, which is something that is self-evident, self-created. These kinds of beliefs, that which we come to on our own, are often, if they're lined up with reality, they're always, I should say, more valuable uh, than the pre-fashioned beliefs. Because pre-fashioned beliefs are already out there, but your unique individuality has something to say. It is valuable. Unlike the pre-given belief, which has already said what it wanted to say. It's already been out there. We've already heard from it. Now we need to have the new belief. That which I shouldn't even say the new belief. Now we need to have the new perception. Because even if that new perception is not ultimately true, it, is, it at least eats away uh, and flies in the face of, opens up a space for the potential access to reality. That's why individualism is so important. It doesn't necessarily have to be the ultimate reality for everyone. But if it can help the individual towards accessing reality, it has value. Because reality is reality precisely because of its uniqueness. Precisely because of the being with. That being with is always unique, always individual. Always moving. Always alive. That's what life is. Happening. What is a happening? Something that's in motion, reciprocating. That's why we say that this ultimate reality, whatever we've termed this new word for God is, can't be denied because it is there. It is alive with us. And no belief, no structure, no system uh, will give that to us ultimately. They might help us 
on our individual quests towards it, accessing it, but they won't ultimately give it to us. It's impossible. And again, this is not necessarily a rallying cry against scientific systems, something that we will tackle uh, in a later battle. Because, again, scientific systems, technological advances are on a slightly different plane. Uh, and we do need to build off of those, but let's... But again, we have to ask ourselves, why do we need the system, the science, in the first place? It's because either we are sick or we are... Uh, we do not know what the reality is. So, let's not... Let's fight one battle at a time, though, right now. Um, but it is important to see how science uh, is a general opinion uh, and how science is a good example um, because to use here, and again, let's, we're not rallying against it right now per se, but let's use it as an example here to see how quickly we wrapped up we get uh, in beliefs that aren't our own. <laughs> when science says something, um, if you are, I mean, you know, then yeah, a certain, a particular person makes a discovery, uh, they pass it on um, to others in the field. This gets verified, agreed upon, and then uh, they do away with the old system, or they modify the old perception, or what have you. Uh, then that modification trickles down, that new perception, that new uh, way of being or seeing, trickles down um, to the common. Um, it trickles into schools. People, you know, teachers read about it, they pass it on to their students, and their students take it as true. I mean, they even get quizzed on it in tests. If they don't, if they don't come up with the right answers, uh, you know, they fail the exam, literally. And they can't advance. Um, but I think it's important to ask ourselves, how many times do we, or have we, uh, in the course of scientific advance even, and again, this is not necessarily a rallying cry against scientific endeavor, but just to use it right now as uh, as our as our pinata, so to speak, as uh, our little kind of philosophical clay pigeon right now, sort of target practice. Um, how many times has science been wrong? and it passed on information that was false and then we've all taken to believing it and we've then followed these methodologies uh, to a fault and we've become uh, more unhealthy because of them. How many times has this happened? 
over and over and over again it happens. Uh, just this week, there was an article in Time magazine uh, about, uh, I think the title of it was, uh, the title of Time magazine this week was Eat More Butter. And it said what we haven't, you know, it, it's, it's not butter, it's not fat that's been killing us. I haven't read the article yet, but, um, but this is an example that I'm pulling out of everyday life that's happening right now um, of this. And, I mean, it happened, you know, uh, uh, with folks who said that the world was flat, uh, that certain things were unattainable, smoking is good for you. It, it, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, and those are always the, the examples I, I always default to because they're, they're just so obvious. But we need to see how belief hinders us, how it stifles us, how it kills us, and how it encapsulates us uh, further within the conceptual regimen. Um, we can often, I think, uh, on an individual level, uh, empathize with the notion of uh, having a, for many of us who grew up with religious backgrounds, having a belief impressed upon us before we even were conscious <laughs> that this was a choice and not everyone lived like this. This is what our beliefs do to us. They, uh, they put blinders on our experience. And that's the most important thing, uh, maybe of, of this entire uh, thought, is that, that beliefs hinder our experience. And now again, we also said that experience is something we're going to tackle uh, at a later time as well. But to give a prelude, a little, a little teaser to that, is that our experience is so filtered by belief that we don't have actual experience. And so what we think we're experiencing as reality actually is not. Because our belief systems... We're, we really crown our belief systems as uh, the rulers where where we should put reality we we give precedence to belief um, we take belief as as the reality and if it doesn't line up with our belief we see it uh, as unreal. <laughs> this, of course, uh, is absurd. Belief uh, is a structure and nothing more. Um, it is something, again, like all of conceptualization's weapons, it's something that we've used uh, to attempt to access the real, but This utilization has become outdated. 
uh, antiquated and weak because it's not present. Be the belief is dead. The belief is dead because it's not a being with. It's not a presence. It's not caressence. It's not the actual. It's not alive. It's not reality. It's just something that was used at one time that was useful, that was giving us access to uh, a reality, or was giving a certain person uh, an access to reality, and then it worked so well for them. This is how it spreads. It's like a virus. It's like a disease. It works so well for the, in for the singular individual that another takes it and runs with it. And that system then becomes the way, that belief, that way of seeing becomes the way that everyone looks at a particular, at, at, at this particular thing and has access to this particular reality. But again, it's a dead happening. It's no longer reality. This is why so often we come to debates on so many different things. Um, there's so many debates about which was better uh, which happened in a particular way uh, after the fact about what's the best way, what's the truest um, happening. I mean, we, this can be uh, very technical, such as, uh, you know, what a certain army should have done in a war, or this is, you know, the sec where second guessing comes in, or you know, what the best route to take on a road. Um, but again, we draw those beliefs from experiences. And our experiences, here it is, are often bogged down by our beliefs, uh, which influence our memory, which influence perception, and vice versa. Memory and perception uh, influence belief as well. It's, it's all, I think we're beginning to see how it's all a singular structure. It's all, it all comes down uh, to a very, very well-oiled machinery, a network uh, that has certain uh, various, various forms and sides of it that all act together. Um, and, but that's why we need to, even if we repeat ourselves a little bit, we need to pick this apart uh, one by one, battle by battle. And we are now with belief because uh, the language uh, is, again, the channel uh, of conception. Belief holds conception in place. Um, belief keeps us from caressence. It keeps us from the being with, the actual, uh, the what is, the real, uh, whatever our new word for God is. Um, because in belief, uh, we have something which is not necessarily true. Um, with caressence, with being with, we have the actual presence of, the actual necessary truth of. Uh, but belief is something from the past.
it's uh, it's something that is been very regulated something that uh, we have no real control over we have no freedom with that's why we have to rebel against and what's more important is in this rebellion we can't just choose to replace because when we replace one belief with another we're still not any closer (laughs) we're not any closer to uh, the reality we're just replacing and in replacing we're not having an actual experience we're not uh, giving a new life to we're further attempting to codify and systemize uh, and conceptualize and we return the cycle just kind of returns and we repeat itself and that's why we never really further ourselves is because it's just we're just locked in into this continual repetition this continual pattern which uh, we we perpetuate because it's us who feel the need to continually put a boundary between ourselves and what is Um, we have to somehow be able to explain it to others we have to somehow be able to explain it to ourselves <laughs> because we're so conceptual that we need to to systemize uh, that we we always need to say okay this is how a, a thing is we have to describe and put rules and regulations on it and yada yada um, and we never really just let the happening be and we never let it go we never let it drift into eternity. We always have to hold it. We have to possess it. We have to keep it. Because we have to understand it. But in that very grabbing, we lose it. There's an old Zen saying that says uh, to hold on to anything, you have to first open up your hand. Um, And this is precisely what belief refuses to do. Belief smashes with a fist. Uh, I think it was Heidegger, I mean, it's definitely Heidegger who says, uh, and maybe to uh, also lesser uh, degree, or maybe I've got it backwards, uh, Nietzsche who said, uh, you know, to philosophize with the hammer. Well, that's what belief does. Belief makes us uh, live with a clenched fist that throws punches uh, to the vacant air in front of it. That's that's belief's best weapon, is to just smash whatever opposes it. To knock it down. And this is exactly uh, what we cannot afford to do.
if we're ever going to even come close to attempt to to access to have access to to be a part of to be with to caress to be a theoman belief in general regardless of what it is will kill us belief is attachment that's exactly what belief is it's attachment to when I often had such a difficult time when I heard about uh, you know the Buddhist notion of attachment because uh, I, I thought well we have to be attached to to some things in order to survive and that and that is true uh, we do need to know how to um, you know we have to remember you know muscle memory reminds us how to move the muscles in our legs to walk uh, the uh, you know, our lips to speak uh, our the synapses in our brain to think I'm not we're not talking about this kind of memory. Uh, this kind of memory is, of course, necessary. This kind of attachment uh, is helpful. And it's not, not a hindrance. Um, because it helps us, of course, to move through existence, through being. Um, but where we get into a great deal of trouble is when we become too, again, captured by. That's what we're trying to do away with, is this capturing of our souls. Religion, culture, tradition, any sort of belief system does this. It ties the arms of our inner nature behind our backs and uh, it, it disallows us to open our hands to hold and all we can do is again punch at the air even though and again our punches aren't very forceful because again we're tied up um, and, we, and we can't see of course, what we're even swinging at. Because, again, we become slaves to the belief. It's so backwards. <laughs> we tow the party line. Even when it's wrong. We go with the notions of our fathers even though they're outdated just because we have a respect for them and I'm not saying that respect is something that we shouldn't have of course we should have respect for those things that came before us but like any trailhead it only leads you there. You have to walk it for yourself. There's an old 
little prayer that I used to say. Uh, I just made up. I said, Lord, carve me a path, but let me find it for myself. This is exactly what we look to do uh, when freed from attachment to pre-given structures, to a belief system, to any of that. Attachment will kill us, ultimately. Imagine if we had stayed attached in the course of human history to what was. Imagine if we had stayed attached to ourselves in a, the years gone by. <laughs> Imagine if we were the same person we are now as we were as a child. As we grow, our experience grows, our horizons broaden, uh, and our beliefs, though, often do the opposite. Our beliefs can often be furthered if we don't have an open mind, if we're not open to this, this mode of being, this, this way of accessing truth. If we're not ready to accept it, uh, we will die for what we believe. And the ultimate and uh, unfunny joke at the end of that is uh, that what we believe is wrong. It's not true. I'll go not too far out on a limb, although some may think it is as far out on a limb that I could go. But I will go out and say that any belief we have about anything is in some way false. <laughs> because we simply can't know all of it if we are only emanating from subjectivity. And subjectivity uh, sustains belief. If we are subjects, we are perpetuating belief. If we refuse to uh, step out of ourselves, then we are subjects trying to grasp an unattainable objectivity. And now this notion of subjectivity and objectivity will also be tackled at a later date. But subjectivity and objectivity is, is labeled as a, a very, another very weak component of uh, the conceptual regimen. Um, but again, it's something to be tackled at a later time, but here we see it slightly exposed. We, we do a uh, pre-attack on a soft carpet bomb of subjectivity uh, on one of its flanks, or on the flank which sustains uh, the belief system.
because beliefs give us an identity. Um, which is, again, why we hold on to them so tightly. Uh, because we want to be something. And this is due to our innocent nature. It really is because of our innocence that we have these belief systems, that we have these structures, because we do want to know we are ultimately good and want to do the same. We want to do good. We want to be good. We want to have uh, that goodness with us at all times. Um, and we want to be individuals. We, we want to have this original experience. Um, and we think that we get it through acquiring beliefs. And again, just the opposite is, is true. We need to let go of what we think we are, of what we think we know, of what we believe, so that we are able, for the first time in many cases, to actually see what is, what's there. It's right in front of us. Um, it's actually the belief that makes us turn away from it. Um, again, we are we are peasants to the Lord of the belief system. The rhetoric strikes us as true, so we follow it. I can't tell you how long I followed the belief, how long I chased that wild animal into the dark, dark forest before I realized that I could nourish myself from the fruits of what was around me for my own. I didn't even know really what I was chasing. I had glimpses of it, what I thought were flashes of, of its reality, of something that I wanted to be a part of, but I, I didn't actually know. And this is what we do when we chase belief, when we set ourselves to a very particular system we're setting ourselves up for failure, no matter what the belief is. Um, and this is where, again, for those who are going to call me out for uh, being uh, an adversary to science, this is where science, I think, does a, a remarkable job, um, is it uh, can lay itself open. The, the, the science is, is a trap, and again, we will get into this later, but it's an it's a offshoot of a, a thought that needs to be addressed real quickly here, is that science, the problem with science is that it uh, often thinks that it's found the answer. <laughs> and then, it's, it's that, that, that is where it becomes dangerous, uh, is, when it, is when it is happy with itself. <laughs> um, when it is uh, uh, look continually striving to improve and further and better itself uh, and admit it that it, it is not aware of wholly and fully that that is when uh, it's really its most powerful because it's open 
um, and so and such as our uh, uh, individual experience as well, as we are at our most powerful when we are open, when we are when we are with, when we are alive, when we are aware of, and not closed to because of a particular belief. When we're open, we are unattached. That's what openness is. It is detachment. Um, it is standing alone. Even though it might be a scary and difficult thing to do, uh, if we are going to sustain ourselves, if we are going to access the reality and see it truly uh, for what it is, then we need to stand alone. We need to rid ourselves of every belief we have about every single thing possible. Think of all the ideas we've built up in our minds about certain things. Kirschmanerty has a lot to say about this. Judah Kirschmanerty, who's, aside from my Uncle Tony, pretty much uh, my only guide and one of the only true philosophers who... Uh, even though I have just spent uh, the better part of an hour rallying against following anybody, but it's, it's the only thing that resonates really with me and it is really an influence on uh, these observations here. But it's okay to be influenced by. It's fine, it's fine to be influenced by. Um, as long as we take those influences and make them our own, and this that might seem cliche, that might seem so obvious, um, and like a saying that we so often tell ourselves or our children, but its truth is so important, so important, because it is where true strength lies, it is the openness to the movement towards the being with, standing alone, being your own, inventing the new reality. That is caressence. That is giving life. That is recycling life, recycling energy. Belief is dead energy. It's dead. It's done. Any Think of all the images we have. That's what belief is. It's, it's the image maker. It's the image perpetuator. Think of all the images we have about even the people who are closest to us, who we think we know so well. We have ideas about what they are. But we often don't have the reality. We often possess only our own subjective vantage to that reality. That's what we possess. We don't possess actual reality. And before, I know I said that it's uh, good, even if you don't have access to the ultimate reality, to at least just have your own slant on it. And that is true. As long, I mean, it's, it's good in a sense, in a relational sense, that it is better than uh, ascribing to someone else's notion of whatever that reality is. Somebody can talk ill of a person and uh, 
uh, and then you build up an idea about that person. Um, but then you have your own experience with that person, and you have quite a different take on who that individual is. Uh, even if your take is wrong, it's certainly better than just, you know, taking uh, the word at face value, and that's what we do with, uh, with language often, is that's, you know, we, we, t and belief, um, as we, as, you know, something is transcribed to us, telegraphed to us, uh, through language about a certain thing, and we, you know, form a belief structure with that, and, uh, um, then either that impacts our experience to some degree, at least initially. And then, again, even if, even if we, we are not uh, uh, fully aware of what that person, what that experience is, because we're, we just don't have the direct perception of it, or we're not uh, omniscient, but this is a, another critical point is that we don't need to be omniscient to access reality omniscient to be to have access to reality um but so far as the metaphor of the person goes um you know it, it's better to have our own experience than than to be than to let uh you know another person influence uh, what it is we think um but again, so we don't need um, omniscience. We don't need this all-powerful perspective to know what is. Um, what is unfolds at every moment. It's, you know, a happening uh, that's unique and it's, it's present and it's alive. It's present. That's, that's the key. It's, it's present. It's there. Belief is somewhere else. Belief is attachment. Attachment uh, keeps us in that other place. Being present, that allows our access. That is, that is the accessing of this, this presence. We have to implement the presence, though, by ridding ourselves of the belief of what we thought we see, we saw, of what we think we see, what we thought we heard. We have to get rid of that. We have to be. We have to be present. We have to be in that presence aware of. Awareness will come through that present. It's the present of the particular. We don't, again, need to be all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. When we're accessing a particular reality, that's all we're attempting to do in this present happening. Belief attempts to codify the whole system, to encode the grand happening. <laughs> is funny because it's not a possibility because you're holding you're you're trying to pin down existence what is existence it's happening and you're trying to pause the happening 
by systemizing it. So if there is a theory of everything, as everybody is looking for, it necessarily includes this open order, this open door for chaos, for sure. That's it's probably its main tenant. Uh, <laughs> is uh, is is I guess what they would call chaos, but uh, I like to think of it more as something much more orderly than that, actually, as actual ultimate order itself. Um, chaos in old language implies something that is incredibly random and volatile and is kind of thrown at you. Where presence, the being of and with whatever that new word for God is, that's not random. It's not random at all. It's very real and very true. It's right there with us. And it's always there. It's we ourselves who shoo it away. Because we think things are a certain way. Because we've learned that they must be this way in order to have the experiences that we do. In order to get us to the next level, we have to follow this prescription. But that's not what reality is. That's not what access is. Belief, again, attempts to pin down what is. It's what comes from the systems. Again, it takes many different forms. But those forms always hinder us every time. Again, even with the most simple of things, it hinders us. It builds images in our minds about the most simple things. leans on those images and through that leaning our experiences is influenced and uh, the real and that access to it is, is denied so what we have to do here is turn again another enemy into an ally is we have to let go of belief. We have to capture it, see it for what it is, 
then let it go like a fish <laughs> that we catch so we have to see how how much we use belief how pervasive it is within our consciousness and we have to know that only through letting it go uh, can we hope to have that access that we ultimately seek And it is only then that we can finally become our truest selves. And our truest selves are unlimited. Uh, and eternal in ways that the old language use of the word eternal or eternality could never comprehend. Because in the present, and what is, we, if we are truly with it, we see that there is nothing else, that everything else is gone. that we have perished to everything. That's what death is. It is a perishing to, it's getting rid of your relation to the particular relation. But in that death, there is life. There is actual and ultimate life. And yet we try because there's actual and ultimate life because there is only that present yes, that that there's only that being with but we try and access that through the belief through thinking of things as being a certain way And we try and capture them in moments, dead moments, true, stagnant, death, dead moments. So belief is ultimate death, but in our being within our presence of, we, ex we experience, we have, there, there is actual, real death which is not the death of old language it is it is life it is ultimate real life because it is only the reality that then takes place so we need to kill the belief by giving to it a new life